I'm Trudy Morgan Cole, and you're listening to Shelf Esteem, my podcast where I talk to interesting people about books that they find interesting. And uh, of course, you know, if you've been listening for a while, that I've kind of been struggling with the getting interesting people into my studio to talk about books because of the, you know, global pandemic and COVID restrictions on gatherings and not meeting with people unmasked in small, unventilated spaces which is what my studio is. Um, So as I said in the last episode, I have a new plan, and instead of a bunch of different guests and a bunch of different books, I'm going to have one guest for the next several episodes, and we're going to be taking deep dives into a couple of books. She's going to be with me in just a moment to introduce uh, what we're doing and what books we're going to be talking about. I will give one little uh, spoiler warning, I guess, for this episode. Both the books that we are talking about, we do talk about the endings and give lots and lots of spoilers. So I guess the ideal audience for this podcast episode uh, and this whole podcast series that we're going to be doing over the summer would be either people who have already read the two books we're talking about, people who already know they are never going to read the two books that we're talking about, or people who might read them but really are not all that concerned about spoilers. And I would argue both these books are not really books where you're driven by the plot and the desire to find out what happens at the end so maybe the spoilers don't matter as much but I did want to flag that up and with that in mind let's get straight into today's conversation. I am here with my daughter Emma Cole and uh, we are back in the same house again. Yes finally. Yeah Emma uh, of the as of the time of recording Emma has been back in Newfoundland uh, for two months two not two months two weeks <laughs> uh, but has been doing the 14 day isolation thing so this yep. is this is the first time we've been able to actually sit down together. Mm-hmm. And and how are you? Uh, how are you doing with being back in back in the homeland? I'm good. I I did like being home, but then it it, it the quarantine got old yeah. after a while. So I'm happy to be out of COVID jail. Yes, good to be out of COVID jail. And uh, our premise for this podcast mini series is that we each recommend a book to each other. Mm-hmm. We each read the book the other has recommended, and uh, then we we talk about it a little bit. So yeah. the book that Emma recommended to me was My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Mosh. Mosh- Moshfag. Okay, that's what I thought. And? Uh, and the book that mom recommended to me was Normal People, a novel by Sally Rooney. <laughs> it's always nice when they put a novel on the cover of a book so that you yeah. don't think this is just like a nonfiction book about normal people. Yeah, this people. one also says a novel, which to be fair, this one you could, might something about the cover makes it look like it might not be a novel. Yeah, like it could yeah. be a memoir. Which yeah. Mm-hmm. The Imagine if this were a memoir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to start with Normal People. And I will say this is both of these books actually have kind of a history in the podcast uh, because they are books that other people have recommended previously oh. on the podcast. And I had I had actually never heard of Sally Rooney, even though she's currently an incredibly hot and popular author, um, until people, mostly people younger and cooler than me, uh, started recommending her on the podcast. And I tried reading conversations with friends, did not get into it. These were not friends with whom I wanted to have conversations. (laughs) But then I did read Normal People, and I actually found it really engaging, really liked it, and the person I most wanted to discuss it with was Emma. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, it was my recommendation for you to read. So yeah, tell. let's start by saying what you thought about Normal People. Um, well first, when did you first read it? When did you read this book? It would have been within the last year or so. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Probably about a year ago. Yeah, I did really like it. It's a good recommendation. Like you said, I did find it to be very, very like page turnery. I wanted to, to finish it yes, very, yeah. very quickly. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'm just going to read one more chapter than end up reading several more chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, it reminded me a little bit of, and I feel like every time I'm on the podcast, I bring up this book, but even weirder than before, it had kind of a little bit of a vibe. Um, Remind us of even weirder than before. Even weirder than before is by someone and the book is pink. And <laughs> or, uh, even weirder than before is, is Susie Taylor's yes, book. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, Newfoundland but, author Susie Taylor. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of follows that kind of from mid like uh school years up through kind of adulthood kind Mm -hmm. of yeah um uh that vibe although i think that that one's only from like one perspective yes um i honestly i honestly wanted this book to go on longer like i wanted to see more of um uh marianne and connell's like uh lives together um like past where the book went i almost wish it had gone like i wanted to go right to the end of their lives i wanted a complete story i wanted to see exactly where things ended up i wanted volumes of this <laughs> you wanted them to get married have children they're to be or, spin-off or books not. About children. i just wanted to know whether yeah. they would or not Fair and enough. this ambiguity and I it, don't do, like it does it. have that very ambiguous it ending a very ambiguous ending which mm-hmm. i guess we could talk about yes. it a little bit yeah um but yeah, I did find it very, very engaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of things that have, have been questions that have bothered me about this book, and that's one of the reasons I want to discuss it with you. One of them is, I saw somebody ask this question online or talk about uh, couples in books that do or don't have chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what you thought of Marianne and Connell as a couple and as a love story. Do they have chemistry? Were you in- invested in them as, as, as together? I was, because I think what's so frustrating about this book is that they are so very clearly perfect for each other and they have such good chemistry but they keep getting in their own way they for do, no yes. good reason like i could kind of understand in like the years when they were still in high school mm-hmm. um why even though that's still a very shitty situation like why they couldn't be like totally together then or at least why they thought they couldn't be but then later in like university they're like living together and like everything's fine and they just they, the the weird thing is that they, like, they understand each other so well on a fundamental level, but yet they have such a hard time communicating some very basic ideas yes. to each other. Yeah, like the whole thing where, what is it, Connell? Connell wa- wants to move in with her or yeah. something, and he's going to go back home, and then like, I, I liked how it kind of showed, you heard about the conversation from Marianne's perspective, um, mm-hmm. kind of in passing, like she says, oh, Connell moved back home and he wanted to see other people, so that's why we kind of split up. Mm-hmm. And then you s- actually see the conversation from Connell's perspective, and he says, I'm moving back home, and then, like, I guess she doesn't have the emotional response he wanted her to, so he says, so I suppose you'll want to see other people <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. And it's just, like, so frustrating with these two people who seem to be, like, on such a cosmic level destined to be together are so bad at just communicating and seeing what's right in front of them. Yeah, yeah. I found that frustrating too. The one thing I did like with that that particular incident um, is that there is this class thing between them too. Yeah. And it, it do, I think one thing the book really does do well is get into class differences mm-hmm. and and how you know how hard it is for Connell just to say I don't have enough money to yeah. stay here and that doesn't even occur to her because she has never been in a situation yeah, where she like doesn't money. even pay rent on her apartment or yeah, anything yeah yeah so I thought that was interesting I had a huge mental block with this book and this is it probably relates to the whether I thought they had chemistry as a couple mm-hmm. forgiving Connell for how shitty he was to her in high school so shitty and I mean I I understand that like it did come from a place of like very heightened anxiety and social like anxiousness 
But also, he was so shitty for no reason. And, like, she's so unpopular in high school, not for any particular reason. Like, just people just hate her. Yeah. Like, she's not, you know, she hasn't really done anything to other people. I guess it's just the, the whole thing is that she's not part of this mainstream kind of, like, um, you know, sports and dating and all that yeah. stuff. Like, she's kind of already figured out that high school is not all there is, and yeah. everyone else in high school hasn't realized that yet, including Connell. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, just incredibly, incredibly frustrating. And then there was that revelation that Connell has, like, talking to some of his old friends about how everyone knew that he yes. was. And I thought that would be the moment where he goes, Oh, it's fine. Everything should be fine. Yes. But then he still keeps screwing things up after that. Oh, yeah. Like the whole, you know, we'll secretly have sex, but I won't tell anyone that we're going out and I won't ask you to the whatever Irish name Debs. they have for prom. The yeah, the devs. Um, oh, I was like, I. it was a big leap to me to believe that she could ever be with him after that yeah. because I would have held resentment about that yeah. for a and very I, long time. My favorite thing was when Lorraine, Connell's mom, learns that he's done this, asked like a girl that, yes. uh, that hates Marianne pretty much yeah. to the Debs, and she just gets out of the car and takes the bus home. Yes, that's wonderful. That's I wonderful. I love Lorraine. Lorraine, was Lorraine great. is great. The one edge I have over you with this book is that I have seen the, the TV series as There's well. There's a TV series? There's a TV series. I didn't series. know there is, and you should watch it. I you should definitely watch should. It. It's yeah. on CBC Jam, I think. I did not know. Uh, that. I think it's like an eight part miniseries. Yeah. I actually liked both Connell and Marianne better after the, uh, the miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> because I think both the actor. The actors are so good, and they do have a lot of chemistry. I have to look up now so I can see what they look like. Yes, go look at the pictures while I talk yeah. about this. I, I, it was easier for me to forgive Colin once I saw the lovely young Irishman who played him. Of course. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very well done miniseries. And it is one of those miniseries that sticks very closely to the book. Oh, yes. So, that, that, that is Marianne and Connell, actually. Yeah. That is them. Although, I mean, because, because Marianne had to be played by an actual actress, she was prettier than I expected her to be, because mm -hmm. I thought... I guess in my head, part of her not being popular in high school, I sort of pictured her as a fairly unattractive girl. Well, I think it says that she has like what, like weird teeth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but I mean, she's she's an actress, so of yes, course she's of beautiful course, in the yeah. miniseries, even if you know, even if they try to play her down a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, they did have a lot of chemistry as actors, and I do recommend if you like the book that that you should watch the miniseries because mm -hmm. it's one of those where I've been and. and yeah, there's a lot of the, the scenes, the very memorable scenes from the book are also very mm -hmm. well done in the miniseries. Yeah, it is, it's kind of strange how, well, it's interesting how a lot of the themes in the book are about, like, power dynamics mm -hmm. and status, almost. Because you did say it does do a very good job of highlighting the class differences. And especially in the beginning, we get a very good sense of how Marianne's family is much more well-off than Connell's family. Yeah. But then within their relationship... Connell kind of has the upper hand and within the like kind of school teenage setting he's definitely of like a higher status yeah. than she is yeah. and that disconnect was very like interesting to see how that changed and came up oh yeah and how the, then how that gets that reversed when they yeah, go to when university, university. Yeah. Yeah. she has all the status and the friends and the popularity and he's yeah. the outsider so mm -hmm. yeah I thought that was really interesting the way it explored explored that it explored the power dynamics in the relationship mm -hmm. The big question and the main reason I wanted to discuss this book with you, though, is because I think of you as somewhat of an expert on young adult literature, okay. young adult fiction. Yeah. And this is obviously very much marketed as this is mainstream, serious literary fiction. Yeah. And I have made the case before to other people, again, on the podcast, is there any reason 
other than just the way publishers promote things that you would not call normal people a YA novel? I mean, okay, so when you're talking about YA novels, there's a lot of things that I would like to consider YA, and then there's also, like, general marketing YA, of course. Yes, yeah. So, like, this book, as it is written, I think would not fit into what is the, like, established kind of mainstream canon of YA, Mm -hmm. but I think it should be. I think books like this should be included in YA. Why do you think it doesn't fit into the established canon? Well, it goes into university, and as we all know, young adults cease to exist after they choose what university (laughs) they're going to. The only exception being Fangirl by uh, Rainbow Rowell. And what what about the the novel where the two... Isn't that YA? The novel where the two girls are... They're they're friends, and they're writing to each other, and they're they're in their first year in separate universities. Yes, 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 yes. Um, That's uh, I Hate Everyone But You. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is very good and was, I think, I think is, is kind of the um, signifying a little bit of maybe not a change, but at least some diversity in, yeah. in these ways. That was definitely very different for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in typical YA past age 18, you just... It's a, yeah, you don't write about what happens. We, yeah. don't, we don't speak of what happens <laughs> after you turn 18 or after yeah. high school grad. Yeah. And I think also in YA, a lot of romance and intimacy is very sparse and very played up when Mm -hmm. it is there. Whereas I feel like in this book, it's kind of presented more factually and is there like straight from the beginning. There's not as much like slow burn between the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So in terms of that, it's, it's, is a little bit different from generic YA. And the sexuality is definitely more graphic, but I think the sexuality is getting more graphic in a lot of YA anyway. Maybe. I don't know. I, maybe I'm uh, not, I'm not reading as much YA these days. Because you've passed 18. I opened the books and the pages look blank to me. (laughs) Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what the, what the current trend with sexuality and why yeah. is. Yeah, because I thought, and of course there is the whole thing, I mean, other than just the, the straight vanilla sex, that she does have this whole sort of masochistic yeah, thing of yeah. wanting to be hurt, which I think is a little darker than you would get. Yeah, not quite as fluffy as you get in, in, yeah, in a YA, YA novel. Yeah. But at the same time, it deals with people who meet in high school and date in college. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the types, it is basically a, a romance. It's mm-hmm. just that it doesn't get, it doesn't get slotted with YA. And it, it also doesn't have, it, it does have that ambiguous ending, mm. which for me tips it more into general fiction. Yeah. YA, and again, I'm not saying that books that end ambiguously shouldn't be considered YA. I'm but just they're saying generally traditionally not. they are not. Yeah. Um, is, yeah, usually YA ties things up with a little more of a bow. Yeah. And that does yeah. not always, like they lived happily ever after the end, but with some kind of more satisfying conclusion. Whereas with this one, and I guess the intent of where she left it off was that it was kind of another slight miscommunication or weird missed opportunity that's like this is a pattern that is going to keep going on yes yeah well i guess there's two ways to read you could think of this is like the indication he's going to move off to new york she wants him to do that and they're going to drift apart and that is what happens or it could be an indication that it just keeps going on and on so anywhere you choose to end it it's all the same yeah right yeah i couldn't see any earthly reason why she couldn't just go to new york with him because these people are idiots. These people are so stupid. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Just go with them. Just, Just go. It's simple. Go with them. Don't fake your own death. Uh, yeah. But I did think the intention, and I think this is even said at some point here, that the relationship has been good enough for both of them that even if it ends, they'll sort of be able to get on with their lives as yeah. opposed to, you know, 
being held back by this great love that never happened or whatever. Like yeah. maybe they are both capable of being in a healthy relationship with someone else at some point in the future. That would be nice. It would be nice. Yeah. If they're not going to be together, at least allow them to function separately yeah. as human beings. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you like normal people. I did. I did. I really you definitely it. should check out the miniseries. Okay. And you know, a lot of people would say you should also read Conversations with Friends, which is another Sally Rooney book. I did not really like it, but lots of people do. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. I think that's why her name was familiar to me, because yeah. I've heard of that one. So let's move on to the other book. Yes! My Year of Rest and Relaxation, Relaxation. by Otessa Moshfeg. Otessa Moshfeg. Yeah, so this was a book that I was assigned to read in my English theory class. Okay. Um, which is when you said, what book should I read? The only book I was reading and had been reading for like the past month was this one. Uh-huh. So, and it's, it's very interesting, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's set in, uh, what is that? Uh, yeah, 2000, so in the year 2000, so a historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> the far distant past. Yes. Um, uh, decades and decades ago. <laughs> well, it is the year you were born. Decades so, yeah, it does ago. feel like historical fiction yeah. to you, I'm sure. Um, but it, yeah, centers around this very intriguing narrator and, and main character who. Um, is unnamed, Mm -hmm. an unnamed narrator, which I am ashamed to admit I did not realize until I had finished the book. That you never knew the narrator's (laughs) name? Because I I had to do a a presentation on this. So we we each had like a class where we would teach the material. And so the two things that were assigned the day that I had to teach was this book and then also um, uh, an essay article called uh, The Aestheticization of Everyday Life by Mm -hmm. Mike Featherstone. And so, yeah, I read this whole book, and then when I started sitting down to, like, do my research, I was like, what is the main character's name? And I went to Wikipedia, and, like, the first sentence was, like, the unnamed narrator. I was like, oh, good, good. Okay, I didn't just miss it. Yeah, I didn't just miss it. Um, And what I, so there's a lot of things I find interesting about this book. Um, one of the things that, that seemed to stand out to you was how unlikable all the characters are. Oh, I'll be getting into that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, we had a lot of conversations about that in class. My professor seemed to like the main character, okay. which I, I pushed back on a lot. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. She was like, I don't know. I would be friends with her. And I said, no, Kate, you would not be friends with this person if she was real. And if you were, if, if, if you were friends with her, that would be evidence of a serious dysfunction yeah. on your part. Yes, yeah. she is horrible and yeah it's um uh so yeah i was reading this in conjunction with a topic of the aestheticization of everyday life and kind of the way that our everyday habits have been commodified and the way that kind of art and subculture intersect with this commodification this commercialization of our lives mm-hmm. um uh but yeah well what did you think of it first of all I was interested. I read it very quickly. Mm-hmm. I did keep the pages turning, but I, on on some level, I hated it with the burning passion of a thousand suns. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very that. I hated the narrator so much. And the thing is, I mean, obviously she suffers from severe depression. That's yeah. a given. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that part of what I think is being explored there is how severe depression can cut you off from other people and make you feel self-absorbed and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I know a lot of people who suffer from severe depression who are still capable of like feeling empathy and seeing other humans as human beings. And even if they can't do much for their friends or family, they feel that they should. Whereas I just thought she was a horrible human being with no concept of empathy. She's definitely got other things going on. I mean, like... Uh, clearly a big part of it is that she has not fully processed the death of her parents. Right. Yeah. And is 
literally like recreating the way her mother killed herself That's with true, like yeah. overdosing on medication, cutting yourself off. Like she is pretty much repeating her mother's death. That's true. Yeah. Um, and yeah, has not has not dealt with those emotions properly. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's fascinating in like a horrible way. It is. It's a train wreck. That, but, but after a while, unlike a, a good train wreck, it even got a little boring to me. It's like, yeah. oh, just another recitation of what drugs she's on now and how long she's sleeping and what she's doing while and she's I, out. I think that's very intentional on Mosh Fake's part is you get even, I mean, in the broader scope, you get that. But even within like um, singular passages, you get this kind of monotonous repetition. Oh, yeah. Um, we In class, we spent pretty much a whole day just dissecting the first paragraph. Really? Which is, um, we all like read it out loud and then mm-hmm. talked about it a lot. So there's... um. This kind of weird leveling out that happens in the way that Mosh Fag, like, has the narrator list everything that's going on with her. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll list, you know, what coffee she gets at the bodega with what um, uh, presidential elections or whatever mm-hmm. are going on with what, like, tranquilizer-level drugs she's taking. Right, so like, it's, it's all the same. Things yeah. of, like, a very different... Uh, or what someone would think of as like very different importance, but listed in the exact same way, like and this and okay. this and this and then I this or this or this or this, mm-hmm. um, and it does create this kind of almost like scary monotony and repetition of like this is her whole life, and it's like this cycle yeah. just droning on and on and on and on, which is I guess how she sees her own existence. Mm-hmm. I also, I mean, I did say everyone in this book is horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I do have a sidebar exception to that, but we'll get to that later. But I mean, her psychiatrist, obviously a cartoon of a bad psychiatrist. Like, I know there are bad and unethical psychiatrists out there. I can't believe there's anyone anywhere as awful as this psychiatrist. Definitely. I found a lot of the characters were almost like funhouse mural representations. Like, you have a psychiatrist who gives you exactly what you want, but what you want is literally going to kill you. Yeah. And you have a best friend who, like, loves you, but also really, really hates you. Yeah. And, yeah, you just have, like, this successful Wall Street boyfriend, but he's not your boyfriend and he hates you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I wanted to dig into her parents a little bit Mm -hmm. because I have an issue with how she writes the parents, which I think to me kind of gets into both how I see parenting in real life and in fiction. Mm -hmm. I think the author takes a lazy way out with the parents. Yeah. Because the parents also are cartoonishly awful. This is true. The only moment where there's any real sense of closeness at all with the parents is and i thought this was going to be going somewhere but then of course it didn't uh was when she talks about how sleeping is the only good memory she has with her mother and her mother would have her come into her bed and sleep in the morning and and she'd miss school and you can obviously see there's roots of a lot of stuff going on there um but it's basically my feeling about life that except for a few genuinely psychopathic abusers most parents genuinely love their kids genuinely are doing their best and probably despite that are messing up and screwing up in some fairly significant ways. Yeah. And, you know, and that includes me and you. <laughs> we don't need to, we have to bring our own family discussion into this. But yeah, as a parent, you yeah. know, I can see all the sorts of ways. Which, oh, yes, I did this wrong. I did this wrong. My parents did this wrong. These other people I know are doing this wrong. Yeah. But usually out of a place of genuine, if misguided, 
love for their yeah. kids. There is definitely something more complex about your parents trying and still messing you up yes. than just being evil cartoonish step-parents. And that's exactly what I thought with this. That she, I didn't have the feeling that the parents were trying and still messing up. They just felt cartoonishly Which bad. everything kind of feels like, like you said, a very like cartoonish, exaggerated version. So, is this book a satire? Hmm. If it is a satire, then for me it falls down on one fairly significant measure of a satire, mm -hmm. which is that it's not funny. You didn't think it was funny? No, I did not, and I know some people do. I didn't think as, like, a It didn't have, like, obviously, like, comedic plot It doesn't points, have a lot of laugh out But I found the writing to be very, like, witty and very sharp, mm -hmm. and I think... I think it was funny at times in how it was like a black comedy. Yeah. Like it was funny in how morbid it was at times. I felt like it was going for that, but for me, it never hit. Okay, uh, there weren't lot, and the only times in that when I felt like, oh, she's being funny here, is or trying to be funny here because it wasn't <laughs> making me laugh. But I was like, okay, see how some of my friends are funny. But there were always times when she was attacking somebody. Else, the the character was attacking somebody else to describe, which brings me to her friend Riva. Yes. So to me. Riva is the my sidebar exception to everyone in this book is, is a horrible mm -hmm. person because I felt like Riva was a normal flawed human being mm -hmm. with yes deep flaws but actually real feelings and emotions who had yeah. accidentally wandered into this book of cartoonish villains <laughs> and, and the, the narrative was trying to paint Riva as a terrible person yeah because that's the only way she can see other people for sure yeah I think uh yeah, the the narrator makes a lot of very harsh judgments of oh, Riva's yeah. character and why she's saying what she's saying and why she does what she does. Mm -hmm. When really, yeah, Riva is a very complex character. I really liked the bit where she goes to Riva's house for her mom's funeral yes. and sees like the yearbook or whatever um, and sees that like Riva was like a kind of goth punk whatever. Yeah. Um, and it paints this picture of Riva as someone who didn't fit in in high school. Um, and so like in my head, Riva already felt a bit outcast so then like adopted whatever like kind of heavy punk aesthetics to like lean into that mm -hmm. and then decided she wasn't going to be that anymore so when she moved to new york she became like this uber conformist trying to fit in as much as she can mm -hmm. like with like having an affair with her boss like this like eating disorder all the like um diet and exercise all the like fake brand yeah stuff the obsession with the brand like, she's yeah. almost trying to become this caricature of like a New York socialite, which is like of like a horrible person, which mm -hmm. all these other people already are yes, inherently. Yeah. She's like trying to achieve this, which mm -hmm. makes it like really sad. It is sad. Way. And the other thing says, I think Riva genuinely loves the narrator, her yeah. awful friend. Like it is obviously a codependent and unhealthy relationship, yeah. but I think she genuinely cares and is trying yeah. to help her. I, you know, she's worried. Like you would be if your yeah. fr your your friend was you know constantly overdosing on drugs and sleeping yeah. most of the day. But I mean, then you do also have the aspect that, and this is still told from the narrator's perspective that there is that class difference between them mm -hmm. and being friends with this narrator and maybe benefiting from some of her wealth either literally financially or just by being surrounded by her does bring her closer to the status that she's trying to achieve mm -hmm. yeah, so there is that too yeah mm -hmm. but i did feel there was genuine caring there i think i can distill the one line in this book that tipped me into I hate this narrator and there's yeah. nothing she and there's there's nothing it can do to redeem it me. And it was when she was talking about her own experience in high school and she says, 
everyone in, or maybe it might even have been in university, all the other girls hated me because I was too pretty. Yeah. I'm like, first of all, no, that's not the reason. Yes. That's why, that's what's funny, I think, is that someone is, who's like, so, del- it's, it's, it, there's just something so comedic and almost satisfying about this character who is just like hasn't showered in days lives like a hermit and then she catches her reflection she's like oh but i'm still really but I'm still hot. So, so hot yeah but then like the idea that i mean yes girls do sometimes resent other girls for being too pretty but if all the other girls hate you it's not because you're it's too pretty because it's because you're, you're an awful person, person. <laughs> yeah Very true. and that you know like I guess I, that was the kind of line I didn't know how to read because if that's meant to be the level of self-awareness that she has, that she really thinks... Well, that's what I think is kind of ironic about it is that she she thinks of herself as a very self-aware person. Mm. You know, she's like, oh, I can read what all these other people's motivations are. I'm not like the masses. I know who I am and I blah, 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 blah. But really, she's just as deluded as oh, everyone completely. else. Yeah. She doesn't have the level of self-awareness that she thinks she does. Mm-hmm. So, does the book actually, do you think, I mean, I guess it's a very old-fashioned way of looking at a novel to feel that the character has to experience growth or change in some way, but she does, before the end of the novel, she does stop her regimen of of drugging herself to sleep all the time. What I thought for sure is when she's going over the plan with Ping Z to, you know, set up this hibernation and he's going to do his art stuff or whatever and she's going to come out of it and be a completely new person. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to go so poorly. Like, oh, as yeah. it just kept going, I was like, this is going to, there's something, she's going to die, something tragic is going to happen. I mean, had it not been in first person, I would have assumed, I was she's like, going like, to die. I, he's going to kill her. Yeah, I was expecting, like, something awful to happen or at least for it to not work and her to wake up and be like, oh, no, I still feel shitty. But then in the end... It works. It kind of does work. work. It works. Well, at least she thinks it works. Mm -hmm. I read this, or I think I watched this interview that Moshfeg did, where she posited one, like, possible thing is that she's literally just done so much brain damage to herself through her (laughs) lifestyle that she, like, she thinks she's, like, achieved this thing, but it doesn't last for very long. Yeah. And what's interesting is in the very last, on, like, the very last page, it talks about her getting the tapes of the footage of the Twin Towers to mm-hmm. watch over. And it says, like, I watch it when I'm feeling bored. I watch it when I need this, 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 mm-hmm. and this. So there's an indication that she's looking back on these events. but And it does, like, this, like, time jumping a lot in the narrative. But there's no indication of how far ahead she is looking back on these things on. Yeah. Like, how long did she last as this new person did she just live the rest of her life normally or Mm -hmm. did she fall back into her old ways did she die like yeah there's it kind of feels resolved but in the end it's actually not Mm -hmm. and the thesis that i came up with for my presentation was about how since so much of our lives has become commodified and a lot of the identity that we have is built through society through advertising through um our own lives being aestheticized Um, you cannot form a new identity without those things because Mm. you have, because your original identity is so cultivated through the culture that you grew up in, separating yourself from culture, you'll never be able to create a new identity because you don't know how. Mm. Um, so like hibernating, isolating yourself, it, it won't help you create a new identity. So my thesis was that in the end, this doesn't work. She's just deluded herself into thinking it has because that was her plan all along. Interesting. Yeah. What did you think of that 9-11 ending? Well, I mean, I hated what she... Well, 
I thought that the references to 9-11 were very, like, ominous throughout oh, the yes, Ominous yeah. in the way that they weren't kind of that shock of the banal. Mm-hmm. But they're just like, oh, he works in the Twin Towers, and that means nothing to them, but it yeah, means everything, everything to, to the us, reader. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, oh my gosh, at the end, when Riva er, dies and Trevor doesn't, because yeah. he's, like, on vacation or something. I know, the one thing I oh my god, at least maybe Trevor dies. At least Trevor will die. Um, yeah. And then he doesn't. It was, it was kind of this um, weird thing where she gets this kind of cathartic satisfaction from Riva having died, or yeah. from watching this woman that she thinks is Riva jumping Plunging from the tower. Girl, like yeah. she sees that maybe as like part of herself, as mm. like a kind of symbolic death that yeah. she can refer back to. Yeah, she's one of the, I read a couple of reviews of it afterwards to try to see, you know, why the people who didn't hate it as much as I did, <laughs> liked it. Uh, and then people, some people, it's a very polarizing yeah, book, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, some people were saying she's seeing this woman leaping to her death who she sees as being Reva as as a positive act that, you yeah. know, maybe just actively committing suicide rather than just, you know, passively committing suicide which is yeah. what much of the book has felt like for her um maybe she sees that as aspirational but you could also see jumping from the building even though it's doomed as a way of trying to save yourself you yeah know? but it's it's this weird thing where the for that woman in the mm-hmm. twin towers the result would have been the same she yes. was going to die either way but there is something that the narrator sees about it being better that she chose, yeah, like you said, to actively Mm -hmm. kill herself. Um, And the narrator kind of has this, throughout the book, this, like, weird obsession with that she's, you know, choosing to hibernate. She's, Mm -hmm. it's almost as if she has grief and mental issues, but it's like, she's like, no, I'm going to create problems for myself. Yes. I'm going to make myself sick. I'm going to actively make things worse. I'm going to actively make things worse because I guess that's, puts me in more power and more control than mm. if I was to just suffer from my mental illness and my grief mm. naturally. Would have also, you know, put given a bit of power control to go find an actual decent psychiatrist but to get that's some the real thing help. Is like, that ter- that uh, psychiatrist was the one that she wanted. She yeah. called around oh, until yeah, she found right. someone yeah. who would give her exactly what she wanted. Mm-hmm. When you did this, when your class read this, was the book polarizing in class? Were there people who hated it? Or Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. One of my classmates really, really hated it. And then also said because she hated it so much, she sped read it in about an hour, which I think also <laughs> contributes to why she didn't like it. <laughs> Maybe, but Maybe. I can see how it's a book where you could get into being like, I'm just going to yeah, skim it. Yeah, if you got into the first couple chapters and you're like, this is not for me <laughs> at all, then you would yeah just skim through it. Yeah. I mean, I'm although I spent most of the the time being angry at the character and sometimes angry at the author um, and angry at the peripheral characters. Yeah. I'm still not sorry I read it. It was an interesting experience to have read it. Very interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, and what did you make of Ping Z, the, the artist? Again, Ping Z felt like a cartoon character to me, felt like a caricature of an avant-garde yeah. artist. And, and so did all the things she said about working gallery. Now, I know nothing about contemporary, cutting-edge avant-garde art, mm-hmm. so maybe it really is like that. And, yeah. you know, maybe this is not just parody, but it felt like, uh, 
yeah, this is just the most extreme portrait you could create of a an artist who's trying to be shocking in yeah. art. Yeah, see, I, I found it really funny, all the, like, descriptions of all the art that Ping Z does and that they displayed in the gallery. That was, I could tell Mashreg had fun writing those. Yes, I, I could see that that was, that was a bit of fun, yeah. although I was worried about dogs being harmed because, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, of course. should have a little, yeah. little sticker on the book, dogs may have been harmed yeah. in the making of this um, book. But yeah, Ping Z is, like, an example of someone who's, like, in a weird way, I, I don't know if he's not as self-aware as he thinks he is or if he is as self-aware because, like, he's trying to do this shocking, like you said, avant-garde art, but then it's, it's exactly whatever one wants. He's rich and successful. Well, this is the thing. And yeah, famous. how shocking yeah. is it if it is the thing that sells? Yeah, and I think, I think the narrator even says that plainly. Like, he was creating the shocking art, but everyone... Loved it. So yeah. it was, yeah, exactly what was called for. It wasn't that subversive. Mm-hmm. It was had the guise of being subversive just because it was shocking, quote-unquote. Yeah. I think, too, um, in the light of, of, of Ping Z and the, the gallery and everything, I find the cover of the book very interesting. Yeah, I, do you know, because I, I don't know either, like, what painting this is? Uh, no, but I'm sure we can find out yeah. because, you know, we live in a world where it's possible to look things up. So the painting on the cover is Portrait of a Young Woman in White, Circa 1798. <laughs> Very descript. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those paintings that just does what it says on the tin. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting that, um, I mean, I feel like Otessa Mashve is an author of the stature who probably has some input on the cover art that her... Um, yeah, and I, it definitely misled me as to what it was. I honestly thought, looking at this, uh-huh. called My Year of Rest and Relaxation, Otessa Mashve with this painting on the cover, I thought, just looking at it, it was like a reprint... Uh, like a, a new cover on like an old novel, like classic. an old classic. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's very deliberate that they're trying to do that. With, yeah, but it's interesting that this very traditional piece of art, of yeah, a bitterly unhappy is all about moment. like uber like consumer culture and modernism and postmodernism. Yes, postmodern art. Um, yeah. So that's when when the book was first, and I'm trying to think who's the first person who met rec- messages recommended this book to me mm-hmm. and i think it was the podcast where i had andrew sampson and nicole boggan on and one of them recommended it mm-hmm. and when they gave me kind of a, a a thumbnail description of what the book is about my editor was like people people read this you know so so she just drugs herself and sleeps for a year yeah, that doesn't it's, sound it's another one of those things where not a lot happens yeah, and, then, yeah, and it's not even like oh and in the end like because yeah. no in the end she'd like her plan works yeah yeah which you know don't don't try this at home kids no. i think there should be there should be yeah. several warning yeah. labels on this Appa- book. apparently all the drugs in the book are real except for the one main one that she like uses to like knock herself out for like three days at a time yes yeah, yeah I, I had i had a feeling that that drug probably was one that the author had made up yeah. For the, uh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't sound like a drug that would be approved, honestly, in the real world. Yeah. Also, another very interesting thing about, like, kind of how commodity and, as- and aestheticization plays into it is that when she is unconscious, like, when she's, um, or at least blacked out or whatever, she goes and, like, she parties, she spends money, she's out, like, in the streets, she's, mm-hmm. like, she shops. She shops, she gets all these, like, this, like, self care, all these, like, spa appointments and stuff. It's like she's trying to suppress the like consumer part of herself uh-huh. but when she is not in control that's just her default setting yeah and that's like people's default setting is to consume that is interesting i hadn't thought about that mm-hmm. yeah of course because probably because i wasn't doing it in the context that you were in a class yeah, yeah, yeah. where you were talking about aestheticization 
So this has been a really interesting discussion. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed talking about these. Oh, I know. One more thing I want to say about this, because we did say Normal People has been turned into a very successful miniseries. Mm. Do you think they could ever make a movie of no. rest relaxation? No, because it, it's it's so much internal monologue and how she perceives things. It's and absolutely like said, in her It hand. is yeah. very repetitive and monotonous. I think it only works as a book or an audiobook. Yes, yeah, yeah. It would be interesting as an audiobook to hear, uh, to hear all this rather than to read it on the page. Yeah. Anyway, two recent and very popular bestsellers, mm-hmm. um, and I have enjoyed discussing them with you. Yes, thank you for having me. I had a lovely time. So we will soon pick two more books, mm-hmm. and maybe in a month or so I'll come back with more conversation about them. Sounds good. And in the meantime, welcome back to Newfoundland and I- Out of thank Isolation. You. Thanks so much to my daughter and conversation partner, Emma Cole, for joining me uh, for this episode. And while I'm talking about my talented kids, as I don't always remember to do, I would like to thank my son, Chris Cole, for the production work and also for the original theme music for this podcast. Emma and I will be back next month. We'll be back in June with another episode discussing two more books, uh, one each that we've chosen for each other. And until then, you know what I hope you're going to do. Read a good book and build your shelf esteem. Thank you.